If your heart was thrilled over the weekend about Jesus arose, well, that affects you right now. He's here right now, and He's in you right now. That's powerful. And uh, it, I think of the story of a wood sculptor, and in fact, it would be with any wood sculptor, you take a log and you begin to fashion it with a sharp chisel, and in the mind of that sculptor, he has an idea of the finished product. And to get to that finished uh, uh, beautiful product, if he's a skilled craftsman uh, that could become a masterpiece, there is a lot of uh, things that have to be taken away. Now that log could have been thrown into the fireplace, and that's what happens if we are not saved. But after we're saved, because of what we're going to talk about, the master craftsman is working in us to show forth what masterpiece? Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. Romans chapter 6. I remember when I was in my teen years, my dad asked me to memorize Romans chapters 6, 7, and 8. And I labored through memorizing those, and I gained some things. But I look back now, oh, if only in high school I could have understood the full impact, even though my dad preached very clearly on it, and it was very real. Uh, I still, just because of uh, much I needed to learn about the self-life and uh, had to, to grow in the Word of God, it's, it's taken over the years for me to realize what a precious treasure we have. And we're only going to look at a little bit of this right here. But the essence of the first part is what I want us to see. Now, in this chapter, it divides itself into three major points. There's truth that we need to understand. That truth then needs to be reckoned. And once we reckon it, we need to yield to it. That's really the three points that you'll find in this passage. And we'll just touch on that. And I want to just let you know, there are wonderful passages that are promises. Now, I love those passages, and man, we stand on those promises. This is not a chapter of promises. This is a chapter of fact. This is who you are, and if you'll let God work in your heart, uh, then this is the reality that you can have because it's already happened. And you have the Spirit of God once you were saved, and you have this great potential because it is fact. It has occurred. Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus lives in victory right now. He's ever living to make intercession for you. You have the Spirit of God. We're not talking about possibilities that are out there that might be for you. No, we're talking about God's plan for every one of us. So let's read uh, chapter 6, for the first few verses here. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as, a, as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Note this next phrase, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Notice that word know uh, there in, in uh, verse 4. And then verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His 
Resurrection, there it is. Knowing this, this is what you have to know, you have to understand, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe also that we also live with Him. You see the resurrection all through there? Young people, the resurrection is your resurrection. That's powerful. The most explosive moment in all of history, outside of the fact that Jesus paid and was judged and the whole world uh, was represented by Christ on the cross, when Jesus walked out of that grave, eternity was affected forever. <laughs> uh, the, all that had been planned had been accomplished. The power, as Paul says it, of the resurrection. And what I want you to get from this simple message this morning is that resurrection is yours. It's a fact. We know it's a fact. We know we're saved. We know we're on our way to heaven. We have that great assurance. But I want you to understand that newness of life, that resurrection power, that which we see as we look at Christ in the heavenlies today, that which He has because He is the resurrected Son of God, is our inheritance also right now for His glory. And we have to understand that. Now if you back up into chapter 5 you find that the real setting of this is the matter of how faith not only brings justification, we are saved by faith, not works. Chapters 1 through 4 clearly teach us that. Chapter 5 begins the look at sanctification, how we are made like Him, how we grow, what God does. And in those first few verses of chapter 5 we've often talked about that. This faith in which we stand, and that faith is going to be tried, and that is going to produce patience or enduring faith, which will then, if we walk with God, we'll realize that spiritual reality is what reality is, and we begin to experience God's intervention supernaturally in our life. We have experience. That leads then to confidence, that hope. That confident expectation that we know our faith is not without sight anymore, it's with sight. We've seen and tasted that He is good. And that leads then to the love of God being shed abroad in our lives. So you start seeing that process there. And you have the great uh, truth of what we have in Him and what the grace of God can do. But then you have that great error that is corrected. Um, well, let's go back to verse 21. That is of chapter 5, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Death has been overcome. We are saved by grace. We're not saved by works. This was absolutely revolutionary to the mind of the Jewish people, especially to those that were part of strict Judaism at that time. And so the unfortunate natural thinking and conclusion would be, well, if we are saved by grace and not works, then we don't have to worry about how we live. Well, that's dealt with rather strongly, verse 1, that we've already read. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? abound? And what's the answer? God forbid. Don't even give it one second's thought. I'm telling you, if evangelicalism today 
would just understand that verse, it would transform most of the compromising philosophy of our day. Grace does not equal liberty to do what you want to do in the flesh. Liberty is the freedom by the grace of God to do what God wants you to do. The grace of God, as Titus 2 says, gives us the power to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. And so uh, it has totally been turned on its head. Isn't that awful? Within Bible-believing Christianity, that very clear basic truth can be upended. Learn to be discerning, young people. Now know the Scriptures. It is very important that you see this. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now what does that tell us then? Where is he headed with that? Let's go back and look at verse 1 again. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? And the answer is no. Especially that grace would abound, the wrong warped view of grace. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. What's the obvious answers to this if you follow the rhetorical questions here? No, because of what Christ has done and because we're dead to sin, we don't have to live in it anymore. Now here's where the dilemma comes, young people, and this is where a lot of good people get off. Because of our flesh that is still here until we get to heaven, and our propensity to sin in our soul and our mind, will, and emotions and our body of sin, uh, it's very easy to, to get this idea, well, it's just inevitable that we're going to live a life of sin. And a lot of people say it's great to have victory, um, but it's almost like living a life of defeat, uh, pleased when you have times of victory. That's not what this teaches. We should live a life of victory surprised by defeat. Well, we almost get into a works mentality because we do the best we can. God's not interested. He never was interested in the best that you could. And He's not interested in the best that you can right now. He is wanting to have His victory lived out through the very work of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you can have victory over sin. That's what this says. That's the whole point of this passage. Now, folks, don't you love to be able to tell somebody that the word gospel means good news? I got good news for you. You don't have to go to hell. It's wonderful. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He took your place. He rose from the grave and you can have everlasting life. Well, the word gospel goes far beyond just the unsaved folks. I got good news for you. You don't have to live in sin any longer. Isn't that great news? That sin that wears you down, those habits that just are such a weight those things that you know are not right and the conscience that, that bears down on you because the Holy Spirit is there. Uh, it's a glorious reality that you can live a life of consistency. And folks, that is something you've got to believe with all of your heart. This is not a promise. This is reality. This is who you are. When you were saved, as I've often said, as Ephesians 4.24 says, the Spirit of God regenerated you. You were born from above. We heard about that, of course, with Nicodemus over the weekend here. Uh, you are born from above. You have new life, and you are created in righteousness and true holiness. And in you is the very Spirit of the living God, the third person of the Trinity. I am looking at temples of the Holy Spirit right now. 
the all-powerful one that gave us this word that was part of the creation of the universe, he is in you right now. And you have, because of what Christ did, the glorious privilege of having victory over sin. Now let me give you one little secret here. If we want victory over sin so we can be happier, that's where we trip up. It's amazing, even in wanting spiritual reality, having God's power, seeing God work, selfish motives are all over the place. Okay, God wants you to experience this victory so that the world can see He arose. How are they going to know it? They've got to see the resurrected Christ in you. They need to see that people can have victory over sin, that you indeed are a new creation. There's nothing like it when you see somebody transformed by the grace of God. Uh, I think one of the things that thrills us more than anything, we love to hear testimonies of people that tell of their transformed life by the grace of God. And I love to hear your testimonies that way. So we've got to get it set in our heart. We've got to understand that God is saying here that grace is abounding for the purpose not of the freedom to sin, but the freedom not to sin. It is for the ongoing victory on a regular basis. Now let's look at what we need to understand. You have uh, two metaphors used, verses 3 and 4, the, the fact that we're identified with Christ when He died, when He was buried, and then he, when He was raised from the dead. So what this is saying in verses 3 and 4, and you got to get this, in the mind of God, and by the way, anything in the mind of God is reality. It's as real as you are here right now. In the mind of God, you were in Christ on that cross. It's as though you hung there. I don't fully know how to say that properly and get it all theologically accurate. But you were there. And when he was buried, you were there. That's what it says. And when he rose again, you were identified. In other words, his resurrection is your resurrection. It's the guarantee that you will be resurrected. And you will have uh, that new body and that eternal life. But He's giving this to us right now for us to live it out in practical reality. That's why I'm saying it's fact. It happened. We just simply need to trust that these things are so and surrender, as you see later in the passage, to what is true. And so we need to know that we can walk in what kind of life? Newness of life. We're a new creation. We're talking about the power of the resurrection of Christ. I'm telling you, if you had seen Christ even in His resurrection body, uh, resurrected body, let's say in the upper room or at the teaching in Galilee of the 500, it would just amaze you. Newness of life. But I'm telling you, if you were like the Apostle John who was taken in that vision to see Christ as He is right now. I mean, John, I, even though he was the beloved disciple, I think he thought he was going to die when he saw the Lord Jesus there in Revelation chapter 1. He fell on his face and the Lord touched him. But that powerful revelation of Jesus Christ is the resurrected Savior. And that's the, that's the life that He wants us to live, to show forth His glory spiritually, not physically obviously, but, physically, but, but spiritually. You see, when there are moves of God, young people, you've got to understand, 
and it's happening around the world right now. When people get a hold of God and are praying and are fasting and asking God to work, and then God begins to, uh, begins to move and they are stirred uh, and uh, the presence of God is there, there is no doubt to that, that community around there's something very different. There's a supernatural power here. There's glory in those Christians. They either persecute them or they get saved, one of the, one of the two. And uh, there is something about it. But the point is, that's the power of the gospel and through lives that are showing forth the resurrected Jesus. And so you have that newness of life. Look at verse 5. If we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, joined together, we are identified with Him, we shall also in the likeness of His resurrection. It, in other words, we are totally joined to His death and resurrection so that as Paul longed to know even more of the power of His, the outworking of that resurrection power in His life. And Jesus won the victory over sin, death, and hell. And so because of that, look at verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and note that last part of the verse, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That's shouting ground, folks. You don't have to serve sin anymore. Now, sin still, we have the body of sin. Now, I want to, this verse, uh, this is what we need to know. Our old man, in other words, our spiritually dead spirit that we got from Adam as we were born. We were spiritually dead. And that spirit uh, was, was regenerated and now we're the new man. So, isn't that wonderful? The old man's gone. You're not the same person you were before you were saved. You're a new creation. That the body of sin, that's speaking of our flesh. And um, another way that this could be understood here is it's not the idea that the body of sin is gone. We know that that is not true. It has the idea of being destroyed in the way that it's lost its effectiveness. It's been rendered ineffective. And so because of our identification with Christ... And because of all that He's done and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, your flesh, your sin nature does not have the upper hand like it had before you were saved. Now, before you were saved, you could not do anything but sin. You had no power not to sin. Now, you might have been benevolent, did good works, but all of that still had a selfish motive. Even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You know, so that's, that's very important for us to understand. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, so that wasn't even possible to do righteousness. But when you were saved, you, would, you became a new creation. And now, because of the Holy Spirit, your mind, will, emotions, and your bodily temptations have been rendered ineffective from having the control that it had before you were saved. It is not in control. The Holy Spirit can control on a regular basis as you yield to Him and is far more powerful than your flesh. 
Now again, uh, you've heard me say it before, but it's very important, young people, that you get a hold of it. You know, you, you look at your bad character, your sin propensity, and all of the things, and you say like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, O wretched man, uh, who shall deliver me from this body of death? There it is again, this body of death. I thank Christ Jesus my Lord. It seems so big. We seem like this little... Uh, you know, little person on an illustration with this massive tank coming in the barrel pointed at us and, you know, somehow we're going to have victory. That's not the way it is. You're the, uh, the Holy Spirit and your new man's the tank and your flesh is that little guy. It's totally reversed. In fact, that doesn't even say it. When you really think about it, and I want you to get this, it's like an atomic bomb versus a pea shooter. Really, it's that great. Is not God that great? Is not the work that God did in you that great? Only trouble is you like that pea shooter. You know, you look pretty ridiculous going around trying to win a war with a pea shooter. And that's why you feel so helpless at times. That's why we get down to the matter. We'll talk about it just for a moment here, reckoning and yielding. But you got to know that this fact is true. You want victory today if you will humble yourself and yield yourself to God. Victory has already been won. You are victory. Jesus indwells you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are a new creation. If you will just by faith believe that and stand upon that and not hold back and not depend upon your flesh, just as great as the victory of your salvation is, it will be worked out in a glorious victory over sin in your practical life. The only thing that stands between you and victory is your will. Your will. Not your condition. Not your condition. It's your will. Because your salvation is that great. And so we need to really understand what a, a salvation that we have now, God continually works in our life to get us to understand to totally trust Him. Uh, when the time comes, you've probably read of different kinds of birds and all, when they, uh, the mother bird wants to teach the young birds to go out and be on their own. An eaglet uh, is uh, their way up, of course, most of the time up on cliffs or something. And there's that time in which pretty much... Uh, they are kicked out, and the way it works is she lets her young ones out in the midair, mid compelling them uh, to use their wings. And God is wanting us to wake up. That's why He uses the trying of our faith to help us understand He is able. He is real. He will work. And that's what you need to constantly be uh, seeing that these things are true in your life. Your character, God can transform it. Your thought life, God can purify it. He will. Uh, the uh, other areas of your life that you're burdened about, your attitudes, the hurts that you've had and the bitterness that you have that is prone to come up, God is able to pull that root out and absolutely change your perspective if you will trust Him because the victory is already yours. Now let's continue on just quickly. I want to give you the full picture before I'm done here today. We read verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no dominion over Him. 
You see, in being identified with his death, the judgment of God will never be upon us the moment you trusted him. And sin uh, does not have to have dominion. Dead men can't sin. I don't have the time to develop that whole parallel there. It's a, quite a parallel. Uh, but the fact is that when we understand our identification with Christ and the fact that we have been raised in our spirit to newness of life, uh, there is no reason that the old man that is no longer there, we need to live like that and let the flesh, flesh control us that way. We are a new creation. We are dead in Christ, and we have been risen with Him. Now, right here, I know what happens. Oh, Pastor, I have a hard time getting a hold of that. It's spiritually discerned. It's contrary to your natural thinking. Death to live. I love that in the, in the Nicodemus program, where they, I mentioned it yesterday, where they got a hold of, he's, he's, that was his plan to die. That to me was a, though it didn't, what didn't move the crowd all that much, it put it together that death was the plan for there to be life. You were identified with his death so that you can have life. Sin doesn't have to have hold on you anymore. I mean, every moment you are living in the Spirit. Every moment the Spirit is giving your new man the fullness to live out spiritual life, you are living that dead man perspective when it comes to this world. This world can't touch you. It's when you go back and let the flesh have control, and which you don't need to, because that's not who you are. It's an amazing reality, but it's hard for us to get a hold of that. And that's why we need, uh, we need to trust the Lord. We're going to talk about that. But... Uh, uh, Verse 10, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now here's the second point. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Now it doesn't say there's a promise that you'll be dead unto sin. What is it saying? You are. Did you get it? You are. Reckon that you already are dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. As you know, the word reckon means to account, something that already is true. Let's say that uh, I gave one of you uh, $2,000. That's not going to happen probably, but um, let's say I gave you $2,000 and uh, uh, let's say Carl needed 2000 to graduate. I think he's caught up, but I'll use him since he's not in trouble. You caught up? Yes, okay, good. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I tell Carl, I put 2000 on your account. And he's, he is 2000 short, of course. Um, that's what he was thinking, and I paid the rest of it. So he is still, the rest of the time, between now and graduation, wringing his hands and praying, Lord, I need to get the 2000 I, I don't know how. I, I need a couple more jobs or my dad needs to, to come get with the program or whatever <laughs> it is. And uh, I'm not going to graduate. They won't let me walk if I have a bill, you know. I mean, what am I going to do? He's sweating it out. He's miserable. With, with all the time, it's paid in full in the finance office. Wouldn't that be really tragic? 
Well, that's the way it is. It's paid in full. And you are dead to sin. Your new man doesn't react to sin. It's not tempted by sin. Your spirit that will live forever, your eternal life, you're created holy and righteous. The Holy Spirit is there sealing you. He's all-powerful. That's an amazing thought. So you have that. You are to reckon it to be so. Now look at that again. I want you to get that. You need to account. It's an accounting term. It's the fact. Reckon that ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. That's a fact or a promise. It's a fact. It happened because of what Jesus Christ did. And when you trusted Christ, all that he promised became yours. Now, the world will tell you how you think about yourself makes all the difference. You know, the self-image stuff and all the other positive thinking. The reason that they have a little success to that is that it is true. How you think about yourself does affect your actions, but it's very shallow, to, you know, and it becomes, you know, spiritually it can be devastating to think that way. But this is saying you need to understand who you are. I've had several people. I've had, I had one drug addict that had all kinds of problems, and he failed again. He came in to see me a few years ago. He said, Pastor, I'm hopeless. I asked him, I said, are you saved? He said, oh, I know I'm saved. I said, all right. And so I went through some of these truths. And I remember his eyes lit up when I told him he was a new man. Lit up when I told him, you have the Spirit. Now, he had heard this before, but right at that moment, he reckoned it to be so. And he realized, wait a second, who I am is totally different than what I'm thinking about myself. Yes, I got the flesh. Yes, I've got the sin principle. Still have the soulish potential that is there. But I'm a new creation. And I, I don't have to serve sin. And he stopped immediately, and his life was transformed for the years after that. Amen. He reckoned it to be so. He didn't make it to be so. He didn't feel that it was so. He didn't get all emotional. He didn't look for another experience. He did exactly what the Bible said. He understood that he was in Christ when he died, when he was buried, and he rose again. He was, he, we are with him at the right hand of the Father. We are a new creation. We are born again. The Spirit of God indwells us. And so who we really are is a child of God that has the power not to sin. And he chose to believe it. And honestly, I was shocked. Isn't that terrible? I just told him all of that. You know, and I mean, you know, preachers get, uh, you know, anyway, I won't go into it all. Sometimes you preach sometimes things that you're, oh, hope they get it. But uh, I remember that. And I remember a week later, he was just came in beaming. He says, I'm a new creation. He said, I don't have the desire. I said, now be careful. You can be, and I think, oh, come on, your unbelief. You know, and so I just encouraged him on, and he started serving the Lord, and he got it. Every day he was rejoicing. He reckoned it to be so. I don't have to sin. The minute he got it in his mind that victory was his, he, had, uh, he just understood he could make the choice to yield to God and not to himself. And folks, you can do the same thing. Remember, you need to live in victory surprised by defeat and realize why you had defeat, because you got into self and got away from walking by faith. But who you really are is the victory of Christ. Isn't it tragic that he's done all this for us and we don't reckon it to be so? 
They're like, I talked about Carl, wringing our hands, anxious, feeling so bad, we're miserable, there's no hope for us. Now, it's understandable to think of that like Paul did in the next chapter, chapter 7, but he immediately says, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord. And then you have Romans chapter 8 and the great victory uh, passage there. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so that is critical. But then note the third point, and we'll finish with that here, is verse 13. Neither yield ye your members. Okay, there's the key. You have a free will. Did God force you to get saved? No, you had to make the choice by faith. You didn't save yourself. It was all of Christ. It's the full work that we've been talking about. But the minute you put your dependence alone in Christ, man, just think, you became a child of God, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You're going to rule and reign with Him. Uh, your sins were forgiven past, present, and future. I mean, you start thinking about it. It was just glorious what happened when you trust, trusted the Lord. That was an exercising of your will. And so it's again, just like you believe the gospel for your salvation, you need to believe the gospel for your sanctification. You need to put your faith and not trust yourself, not do your own thing, not have your own plans, but simply say, I want to glorify the Lord and I want to not sin and have victory, not so that I'll feel good and my conscience will be better, but I want to show forth the victory of Jesus Christ to this entire world, and I yield myself to Him. And every time uh, you have that tendency to turn to yourself, you yield to the Lord, and, and you realize that you have the victory in Christ. Neither yield yourself members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, there it is again, resurrection life, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And then verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. That's what it says. You don't have to be under sin's dominion. Amen. You don't. Be totally free. And he goes back to the initial discussion, the last part of that verse. Uh, For ye are not under the law, but under grace. In other words, grace brings you to not being under the dominion of sin, not the freedom to sin. You know, we look at weak evangelicals that say, hey, you can do what you want because you're saved by grace. But I'm afraid there's a little bit of that in strong conservative Christians. The grace of God is God's power to enable you to do His will, to enable you to make the right choices based upon who you are in Christ. And uh, we have that wonderful, wonderful union with Him. And that's why he says in verse 15, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? What's the answer again? God forbid. So, sin doesn't have to have dominion over you. So, we haven't been over Romans 6 for a while. I just wanted to go over it again. That's a glorious chapter. And I've only touched on it. What's the three points you need to, number one, understand, know these things to be true. These aren't promises. This is fact. 
I'm looking at a bunch of new creations. I'm looking at a, at a, a room full of people who were identified with the, the mighty work of Christ on the cross. And the ascended Christ in all of his glory and power is, is, uh, can be manifest through the indwelling of the third person of the Trinity in your regenerated spirit. That's big time. You are a child of God. You're a new creation. We need to understand that. But then you've got to live that way. By reckoning it to be so, you got to believe that it's true. Not just understand it, but you got to be living every moment. No, I, no, that's, that's truth. That's truth. And it'll, it'll encourage you. Listen, many times I'll stop and, nope, not going to go there. My, my, how I'm viewing what I'm having to face, I, I, have the, I have God's power and authority to be able to have victory right now. Reckon it to be so by yielding to be a servant of God, not a servant of sin. And by the way, isn't worldly Christianity an oxymoron when you look at this chapter? Isn't it a tragedy? No, we ought to be living holy lives and loving every minute of it. Being freed from the power of the flesh. What a message! Listen, you have, you know, we love the gospel message, but the gospel to the saints is glorious. And it ought to stir us, but it ought to come out of a life in which you're experiencing victory over sin.